Time to talk about motorcycles and motorcycle racing. I'm Greg, and Jason is... I don't even know. Where are you, Jason? I am on the road, G-Dub, as usual. So I'm sitting in a house that we rented over in Palm Springs for the next three days and mm-hmm. uh, got in here late last night from Button Willow. I was with everybody from Let's Ride Track Days yesterday. Monday at Button Willow was a great day, and um, I loaded everything up and drove over to the desert here. So I'm going to be on the road for like the next three weeks. Wow. All so right. I'm going well, to be doing this podcast from different spots. That'll be cool. As long as we have a good internet connection, we should be good to go. Yeah, we'll be good. We'll be good. So I'm just, uh, yeah, been been uh, riding all day yesterday. Hey, I got one for you. Yeah. We uh, was out there. Well, we'll get into it a little bit later, but. Um, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, no, it's not a big deal, but there's a lot of things going on right now, so it's good. But we'll, we'll talk about it in a few. Oh, get on with okay. get on with your read, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, t- <laughs> I I'm talking about. I do everything. Every word coming out of my mouth is off the cuff here. You know that. No. Have you uh, have you have your toes warmed up yet? Oh, from uh, from Yankton, South Dakota. Oh my gosh, Greg was in South Dakota this last weekend doing a Robin Hood tournament, and and the weather stuff that you were sending me while you were there, it didn't look like very much fun. Yeah, and the thing was, I knew, we knew the forecast was coming. So Monday morning when I was getting ready to leave, it was minus 24 degrees, and oh. we're sitting on the airplane, and I was just like, yeah, I've been in this situation before. The plane never works right. So we sit there, and we get on the plane, and everything's looking good. And then all of a sudden, pilot comes on and goes, uh, uh, we're going to go dark for a second. I've got to reset a system, and I just start giggling. So he resets it, comes back on, and... You know, at that temperature outside, even when the plane's off and the heater's off, it's cool. It, oh, it, yeah. it cools quickly, right? At minus 24 Fahrenheit. So anyway, he comes back on and says, oh, the actuator's not working. We got to get a mechanic out here. And But I'm smarter than most people because when I travel in the wintertime in that region of the country, I generally make a longer layover. I like probably about a two hour. But in this case, because there's only so many flights selected, it was like a three hour and 15 minute layover. So we were about an hour and a half, two hours late getting in, like, you know, no big deal. So for me, I got home when I was scheduled to be home at 430. And yeah, it was cold. I mean, dude, I wish I could show, I should have taken a picture of this. The front doors to the place where they were shooting with people just opening them and closing them coming in, the entire frame of the doors on the inside was covered with frost. Like even it, it, and it was so cold, the metal doors with glass windows that no matter what the temperature was inside, that frost stayed on those doors the entire day. Wow. Like it was, it, it was <laughs> lung burning. Yeah. What it was. Yeah. Well, you told me, you said like even just getting in the car and stuff, just having the car warm up, you're just that, that five minutes or three minutes was just a lot. So yeah. No, dude, you're, it, it's so cold. You're in the car and you drive, like you just kind of let the engine do its thing for a second to get the oil moving. Yeah. But then you drive and it was a legitimate 15 minutes of oh. actual driving before you would even start to, get to a decent temperature. It yeah. was weird. It, it makes me I mean, sad listen, to I, live here in California. Yeah. Shut your face. Look, today we're going to start you off with some news <laughs> presented by Rye, and then we're going to go into Supercross Orlando style. It's round seven of the season. And then on to a very, very brief discussion on Supercross fantasy, because I really don't want to talk about it. Then into an interview with 2017 and 18 American or, or AFT twins champ, Jared Mees. We're going to talk all about what's new in American flat track and more. And then a little bit about next week and, of course, the race calendar. So 
I am ready to get this thing. I know you got a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, today, I, I've but... got I've got some stuff happening. I'm over here. You remember Lincoln, right, James? Lincoln. Oh yeah, sure. From Link, Star Lincoln's, School days. Lincoln. Because big. I used to be an instructor at Star School and ride a motorcycle yeah, a lot. Yeah. As we had that debate last week. Oh my God. Anyways, so did Lincoln. Lincoln should be part of Battle of the Olds. He hasn't ridden a bike probably in as long as you have. He might have a trouble squeezing into those suits too. So, but anyways, it's his big fiftieth birthday, G Dub. So. Oh, it is. And yeah, and I got oh. Nate and Nate dogs coming over, so we're gonna play golf for three days. Oh, well, that's that sounds like right. fun. So we got tea, we got tea times and all that stuff. We got to catch up to today. So, you know. Jason the Divot Pridmore, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. All right, well let's let's get into Arai news. And speaking of Lincoln and the fact that Lincoln's gonna be fifty years old and he's a little chunky, have you ever tried on a helmet in a store? Then you rode it for a few hours to find out that it's too tight. I don't know. Maybe you put on a little weight or. Maybe, whatever, you know, put on some weight. Well, if you're in a Rye helmet, don't worry about it. <laughs> Many Rye models come equipped with a removable foam liner, a layer for the cheek pads and the temple area. You can adjust your fit by removing these five millimeter layers if you need to. It's another great reason to go check out AriAmericas.com. For more information, that's AriAmericas.com. Check out the paid jobs and... All kinds of nifty neato stuff. My helmet, by the way, is in uh, for the one I'm going to use for Battle of the Olds. Nice. So they're boxing it up and shipping it out today. Yeah, those guys take care of you. They've always have taken care of you, so that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For 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 almost as long as I've been racing, there was this one year, 1999, when I rode for this Star School, Star uh-huh. Motorcycle School Best program. Best ride of your life. And it wasn't a Rye sponsored, and it was a different brand. Um, I think back then it was showy. Probably. And I destroyed a helmet in from basically turn one down to turn two at Laguna Seca. I went head, feet, head, feet, head, feet six times on an Aprilia RS250 and did not get knocked out. But other than that, yeah, a Rye. <laughs> anyway. Doing too much. Uh, racing stories. All right, Jay, so news dropped at the yep. end of last week, that Moto America will plow ahead with its schedule with or without the MotoGP code around because obviously that got delayed and they were talking about possibly a September, October timeframe. So Moto America in doing so, it's, it's, they're basically taking their events from, from 10 to 9, but in order to get their 20 Superbike races they want to have in, uh, they're go- we, we will see again those three Hono Superbike full races in the final two events. So at Jersey Motorsports Park and Barber Motorsports Park. You're going to see three full-length Hono Superbike races. Those are both in mid-September. Because of the time constraints of the schedule with three Superbike races, it forces Moto America to drop two Legends of Bagger events, so they will go to three total. So what do you think about that? Well, I I definitely like the idea that we're going to be able to get all of our races in. It's, uh, It's a shame that the Coda thing is kind of up in the air. I know it makes our TV schedule a little bit harder when we do the three races. Um, you know, one thing I I'm, I don't know we've said this before. Like I really liked the schedule ending at Laguna Seca last year in October. I thought that was kind of a cool event, and uh, um, having these things end in September, we're going to be doing Jersey and uh, Barber. Jersey's never really been one of my favorite places, so to have three races there, uh, this is just a personal opinion, obviously, but to have three races at Jersey kind of is a you know I, I'm not as excited about that probably. But if we could have done like a Barber Laguna three race, you know, at each track at the end of the year, I thought that would have been that would have been pretty cool. But I know how hard it is to get scheduling and all those things are very difficult to do. Now, this is just speculation. I don't know this for sure. But 
if MotoGP ends up coming to the States, they get cleared and they come to the States. Uh-huh. Um, I wonder, I'm, I'm kind of guessing that maybe we would still go in the Superbike class only as we were scheduled to, and they might adjust, you know, drop those last two races. That would be my guess. But yeah. there was that fire that happened um, at in Argentina. I don't know if you saw yeah, that last crazy. week. And so that actually not having a race, have the ability to have a race in Argentina might affect our schedule because of the cost associated with getting all of the MotoGP, you know, containers, bikes and all that stuff over to this side of the country. It actually reduces cost, um, you know, having like a U.S. round and Argentinian round for some reason, I guess, is what I would what think from some folks over there. Yeah. You think it's an insurance job over there? You know, it's really funny you say that. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I, well, I, you know, the the fact that the whole paddock could just catch on fire, number one. But I got I I got from a <laughs> I'm going to say my source. I got from a really good source that where that track is at and the city that it's kind of located in and some of that stuff. Um, you know, it's not the greatest, nicest, most perfect area, and they really rely on the events to happen at that track in order to to bring in money into the city. And, um, so yeah, cause I just think I find it funny that, uh, I mean, I know, I know stuff happens. I'm not blind to the sure. world, but you know, when something just goes up in flames and that was like big, big flames and there's really been nothing going on there. So, yeah, uh, it's just kind of interesting because they're shut down and they, they, uh, so I talked to this person and they're like, yeah, it might be a little bit fishy. Yeah. I mean, it was my first inclination and I hate that my brain goes there, but I, I yeah. have no idea. Right. Like yeah, I've never yeah, even, yeah. yeah, I don't even know, but yeah, that's something that a thought that, that goes right through your brain. And we're not saying it is, we were just throwing around some ideas there. Now, Jay, how about some good news for MotoGP and Repsol Honda and Mark Marquez, I guess. I mean, info about the Spaniards medical condition came across the wire and it said, quote, the medical team led by, and then it just listed like a whole bunch of doctors names. Mm-hmm assessed the radiographic signs of bone consolidation and were satisfied with the progress from now on. And during the next few weeks, Marquez will be able to progress steadily, progress steadily in the process of functional recovery of the operated arm, unquote. I mean, that's just a lot of words. So I'm guessing that it's a good sign. I don't know. Well, yeah, it, it just depends. I mean, if that thing was non-union, how long it was like that for, uh, it just takes time for these things to heal. I mean, when you think about it, Greg, we're coming up on a year and what, like a couple of months here, was it April or was it May that they finally went racing last year? I just can't remember. I know their schedule was so together. I want to say it was probably May, maybe even June. So he's eight months into this and they're still sending out these kind of foggy, questionable type of emails. I mean, this sounds, uh, or, or quotes, doesn't that kind of sound like a hope quote? You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah, sound like a, it does. like it's a, like, Hey, this is great. He's going to be ready. He's got two more months till he gets on a bike. And I mean, it's a guy that hasn't been on a motorcycle since he got off it at Jerez trying to ride a week after he broke his, you know, his humorous. And, and, you know, I don't know what exactly everything he's been doing in his off time. I, I, I would assume he's not been, you know, dirt tracking or doing any of that stuff. So, He's been off a bike for what's going to be almost a year, and it still sounds like when I see quotes like that or little excerpts from doctors, it's like, oh, it everything looks like it's okay, but it's not really coming out and saying, oh, he's ninety percent, you know, he's he's ninety, he's eighty five percent, you know, we're just going to let this thing keep healing the way it is. So, I think it's scary too the fact that they've already come out basically and said that they're not going to take on Davizioso. 
and that Stefan Braudel will be there to take the place of Marquez if they need it. Um, I mean, when you come out and you say stuff like that, that's that's a strong indication that maybe this thing still isn't healing. Mm-hmm. And we actually so. later later on in the news, we're going to have a little. I want to ask you about that because there was yeah. some some stuff that broke about the idea of Braudel coming back as well. But we'll we'll touch on that in a second. So okay. that, that I mean, that's the kind of thing that you would think that if if he's fine and he's like okay to come back and he's been riding and he's healthy and he's all those things, you would hope that it would just be like crystal clear in a press release. Like Mark Marquez is a hundred percent. His bones are healing. The doctor says he's going to be good to go. They estimate he'll be back in two months and give us some type of meat to chew on. But well, that's what I'm saying that, that to me is just kind of like, we need to get something out there because we haven't really said much about this injury in the last however many months. So you know, it, it would be, I was thinking about this just a couple of weeks ago, like how devastating would it be if this is, if this is the thing that actually took Marquez out? I mean, you know, we, we look at how invincible he is and um, it, it just takes one time though. You know, it takes one time and one really bad injury and then maybe not the greatest follow-up after. So meaning getting on a bike a week later or four days after surgery on a bone that's, you know, obviously going to be very instrumental in you being able to ride a motorcycle mm-hmm. um and we could play devil's advocate or monday quarterback it all day we want but <laughs> that decision to put him back on a bike that following week um his decision i should say ultimately he's the one that straps the boots on his decision to get back on a bike could prove to be ultimately very costly and um and i and i gotta say too that like even if he comes back at i'm not a really big believer that if he comes back at 80 percent, he's gonna win i don't i don't think that's the case i think he's I think the bikes are a lot closer now. He's going to have some. There's a there's a whole new regime of guys now that feel like they they have the chance to win a championship after they see Juan Mir do it, Greg. And I think that him at eighty percent, as great as he is, um, I don't think that that's going to be enough for him to win. And dude, speaking of Juan Mir, I mean, in what has to be the most deflating hype of the season, MotoGP World Champ Juan Mir will run his trusty number thirty six for twenty twenty one, not the number one plate. Like I was on pins and needles waiting for this one, JP. Did you see can like I, all the hype leading yeah. up to that? Can I ask you an honest question about this? Yeah. I mean, honestly, right? Did Did you really care? No, of course I didn't care. I mean, I find it, I find and, it funny that people care that much about that stuff. Like, I get you should probably run the number one plate. You're the defending champ, but these guys they build their brands around their numbers, right? I mean, we all yes. have. We, that's kind of what you do, and it's like it's nothing new that the guy's not going to run the number one plate. Who cares? I mean. Marquez hasn't done it. Rossi hasn't done it. You go down the list of people. There's been some that have as well, but for the majority, like, you know, they build brands around their numbers and their t-shirt sales are around their numbers and all the stuff that they do. But I'm with you. I was like, get over it already. Like who cares? Right. I mean, dude, there was like a press release from Suzuki about it. Some of those Euro websites were all like, ah, the announcement's being made in three days. I was like, for real? Yeah. Like he's either like what's what kind of announcement can you do where you go thirty six or one? <laughs> yeah. Like right. Whatever. Anyway, so good good for Mir for building his brand. I mean, the number one plate's cool. hundred percent it's cool running that number one plate. But in the day and age we live in right now, you know, I mean, his Instagram is based off of his number and all that kind of stuff. It's uh yeah, I mean it just makes a lot of sense. So we move on from that. And JP on Crash.net, they had an interesting read about Yamaha factory team and what they plan to do about the evolution of their factory machine. It seems that they're going to, well, they're going to back up a little bit and move the factory bikes closer to the A-spec frame 
of that Franco Morbidelli on the Patronus bike had from last year. Um, you know, Morbidelli was the most consistent of them all, especially in the last six races, really, you know, scoring the most points of, of any Yamaha. And it's an interesting read because the quotes are from team director Massimo Marigali. And so it's not like hearsay or rumors. So go to crash.net and really check out the article. But, you know, like for me, it's, I think it's a, an honest article from the team director because it seems like in GP, it's always about moving forward, about finding something better, about, you know, like you got to keep, just keep developing and pushing. And now at least they've said, well, obviously this bike worked better as an A-spec bike than it did the factory bike. So we're going to take a step, step back and make this bike a little closer to what it was in 2020. So it's, it's kind of a weird pill to swallow in MotoGP because you're always pushing the envelope and development. I mean, obviously look at what Ducati does, right? Every well, year I was they gonna, come out with yeah. something new. It's like, whoa. Do you feel like we're, do, I mean, it's kind of strange, but you, you kind of have to start to wonder when we have, when will the level of progression start to really dwindle, right? I mean, like how much better can tires get? How much better can bikes get? How much, I mean, it's probably a question that's been asked, you know, through the test of time when, when bikes started getting, you know, originating and then they keep getting better and they keep getting better and they keep getting better. And I mean, there's been times where you and I have looked at things, but with, with where electronics are now and the bikes, the way they are, I think it's kind of interesting that Yamaha goes back and says, Hey, we're going to go back to this spec, you know, frame. Uh, obviously the bike was easier to ride. It seemed. And those guys that were getting smoked last year by Morbidelli, you know, under the same Yamaha, you know, banner, uh, they had to look at that and go, okay, we've got to figure something else out. And unless there's going to be a big step forward with something new, we've got to kind of transgress maybe and go back to to what we saw working so well last year. Hmm. I, I don't know. It's kind of interesting, like when we will see that level of progression. I mean, even with road bikes now, Road bikes now are so insanely good, so amazing. Every day, every track day I go to, I, I watch guys get away with things that they definitely wouldn't have got away with ten years or fifteen years ago, even five maybe for some. And and the bikes now are a lot more forgiving, and they allow you to get away with more stuff. Um, but there, you know, when does that level of progression start to slow down? And maybe this is just a small sign of that from one factory. I mean, obviously, we see really middleweight sport bikes six hundred inline fours have kind of reached the end of their development. You know, yep. no one's really putting much into it. So yeah, I mean, at some point, I mean, MotoGP bikes, it's still a thousand CC engine and they're getting close to 300 horsepower around 300 yeah. horsepower. How much more can they, it's just an air pump. You know what I mean? Crazy. Like yeah. it takes air crazy. in and it explodes and it creates power and stuff. It's just the efficiency of it. How much air can you actually compress into a cylinder and then explode it with different fuels? So very interesting to see where the development goes. Now, there is something that I've added, Jay, that's not in, in your list if you're looking at it because yep. um, there was good condition in, conditions for testing MotoGP bikes this week at Jerez on Tuesday, which is actually the day we're recording this. Alicia Spargo was quickest over Stefan Brodel, Danny Pedroza, and Lorenzo Salvadori, which brings us to testing JP because you're like, well, why is Alicia Spargo that, you know, testing for Aprilia at this point? But the whole testing situation has really come up because there was a you know an article, I think it was Pitt Byra from KTM, who was kind of saying, like, why do you have stuff on Brottle, who's an official tester, and he gets to race basically the entire MotoGP season, and then still 
fall under the same umbrella as testers. This particular one mm. with Alicia Spargro is a special condition. Like they were allowed to because they don't, uh, they for whatever reason. They haven't yep. been competitive. Exactly. It really hasn't been competitive. So they get certain conditions and and things that they could do. But that, that's a great point that you bring up about Brottle because last year he was, he was basically a full-time MotoGP rider. So yeah, what what's preventing anybody from deeming Maverick Vinales as a test rider, right? Yeah, exactly. And then letting him go out and ride. So there is definitely some validity to that, I think. I think too though, Greg, with you know, with COVID and how it's been and you know, you see these teams they they they're spending all this money to go testing and then it pours rain. So then they don't want to test because they don't want to use up their day. So I I, I think that they gotta really look at if the teams can afford to go testing and they want to go testing, I mean, all these teams want to go testing. Um, some of the some of the uh, sanctions as far as the days that you're allowed to go and ride, I think they need to make some movement on that because we're not living in a normal world right now. And we and these guys want to get on bikes. I mean, there's only so much super motarding and go kart track and yeah. you know production bike to, at track days stuff. I mean, that you can go and do. I I did track days in Spain about oh what five years six years or seven years ago and you know there's all these moto gp guys that were there testing i mean i remember zarko being there on r6 he was in moto 2 at the time but what i'm saying is that imagine all these guys now i mean it's great for the people that are there paying their money the the, the, the normal uh, public being there and being on track with these guys but how much real quality track time are they getting by running around on stock bikes you know they need to be on bikes is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's it's true. So, so. it's just an interesting time we live in right now, obviously, with the Crazy pandemic time, yeah. still raging on. But that's your news presented by yeah. Arai. Well, thanks, G-Dub. Last week, round seven, last Saturday night, uh, in what would be a complete utter disaster for both of us in Fantasy Supercross, which we'll get to <laughs> in a minute. But uh, I did pick the winner last week. Cooper Webb ended up winning round seven in Orlando. It's the first of two stops for the Supercross guys. They'll be back at it this Saturday night. Uh, but Cooper Webb wins over Roxon. Roxon looked like he was trying to push Webb for the majority of the race. Um, kind of fell back, kind of made a charge at the end. Zach Osborne had to help hold off um, a late charging Justin Barsha, who got a little bit loose uh, through a rhythm section and uh, ended up finishing fourth. But him and Osborne, good to see Zach up on the podium. Tomac Plessinger, Muscan, Jason Anderson, Malcolm Stewart, who had qualified very well for the night. Uh, ends up ninth and AC Adam C and Cirillo ends up 10th. It's an interesting race, Greg. I mean, I think that, I think that right now you're kind of in the meat of the season where you get this mid part of the season grind. And this is where I just really feel like Cooper Webb is going to be the main guy that's going to battle rocks and had a feeling last week that he was going to win. He consistently gets good starts. He always seems to find his way to the podium, which is what it's going to take. Uh, Eli Tomac kind of, again, was a bit of a disappointment, but Going into this next Saturday night's uh, round, Roxon's going to take a 13-point lead over Cooper Webb and almost a 30-point lead, 29, I believe, over Tomac. Um, mm-hmm. uh, did you get to watch any of it? I know you were freezing more, you know, in South Yeah, Dakota, I came back. I came like, back. When yeah. I got home, I watched it last night. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, I mean, Cooper Webb's pass for the lead was great, right? He got two yeah. in one corner, and then yeah. he kind of set sail and all that kind of stuff. Um I mean, hats off to Brayton, Justin Brayton. I, I, I just wish he could put a race together, Brayton, at this point because he's get he gets great starts. But well, he did earlier in the year. He got on the podium, but I agree with you. It's kind of like when you start to see him get passed by one or two guys, 
it's like he's going to go back and finish where he finishes. I'm really shocked at Adam seeing Cirillo. Like, he just doesn't seem to have it this year. Like, yeah, I haven't, and, and, you know, he's like my favorite guy, like we've said on this podcast a bunch. So there might be something going on there. Uh, I know he's probably trying to get through these events without falling because he's had a tendency to do that. But you kind of see this where it's, I, in my gut, I'm starting to kind of feel like maybe he needs a change of scenery. He's been on Cowies for a lot of years. Maybe it's a change of scenery that's going to get him going. Wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe go somewhere else next year. Hmm. That's just me being purely speculating because you see these guys kind of move around a little and then they get like a new lease. And maybe that's what AC needs. Qualified fastest and then ends up 10th in the race with it wasn't really anywhere to be seen, was he? I mean, he wasn't really anywhere to be even looked no. at. No, and, he, and so. he's still solidly in the points in fourth place, you yes. know, with you know, with Barsha coming on strong and even Muscan's only eight points behind him. And so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about all that. Um, That's I'm, just me speculating. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it just yeah, looks yeah. like, you know, he's just, he's kind of getting beat every week and, and, you know, he can go out and qualify and put a lap in. These guys too, they carry injuries and they don't really tell anybody about things. So there could that be some, true. some of that going on as well. And I, uh, you know, cause he's, like I said, and even Zach Osborne hasn't had the year that I thought he was going to have. So to see him kind of get a, a more positive result out of the weekend, I thought was good in the 250 class. Jet Lawrence was just dominant, Greg. I mean, I know Colt Nichols pushed him and this and that, but nah. just just Lawrence, who missed around a couple rounds ago, if you remember, after that big crash hurting his shoulder, he ends up winning this one with Colt Nichols, a points leader, in second. Christian Craig, who really needed to come in here and put some extra pressure on his teammate, does a great job finishing third after a big heat race crash. Didn't look like he was going to be able to maybe go, but he ends up winning the last chance qualifier and then ends up third. Joe Shimoda, who just continues to rack up top five finishes ahead of Mitch Oldenburg. Um, Joshua Vrais, uh, Morans, Osby, Schlosser, Carnow, and Simonson. Well, Simonson's 11th. A lot of, lot of de- depletion in this series right now. So there's a lot of guys getting into these top 10 spots that maybe some of us otherwise wouldn't maybe have heard of. We have because of, because of fantasy. Colt Nichols is leading the championship, Greg. I think they got, I only think they got one round left. I think these guys. I think correct. It's a ten-week break. It's a ten-week yes. break for two hundred and fifty Supercross East. So some of these riders are going to. This is what makes this championship kind of interesting. If you you know you look at the points total and you go, okay, there are what I think it's eight points between Colt Nichols and Christian Craig. Correct. And you look at it right now and you go, oh, okay, well they're really the guys that are battling out. Maybe Jet Lawrence is going to put put himself in between there. Maybe Joe Shimoda can. But you're going to start seeing some of these faster guys anticipating them coming back potentially, like maybe an RJ Hampshire coming back into the mix or some of these guys that are hurt because they do have a 10-week break until they come back for Salt Lake City 2, which wraps up their championship. To me, it's kind of a weird, weird deal to do that. You, in a way, would like to say, hey, get 250 East over with. You know, let those guys concentrate on outdoors because the speculation is now that Colt Nichols, he's got his Supercross setup. That Colt Nichols, Christian Craig, Joe Shimoda, Jet Lawrence, all those guys are going to go start working and riding on their outdoor setups. And some of them, Greg, you got to remember, some of them will transfer over into the 450 class and go ride 450s for a few mm-hmm. rounds, you know. And so there's, there's the risk of injury and that kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And then, you know, of course, we're, get the, we're going to get a whole nother uh, – bunch of 250 guys this next week in Orlando, which will be good to watch. And, uh, you know, again, it'll be good for, for our fantasy supercross, but Colt Nichols is leading that championship by eight points right now. It's really come down between the two of those guys. And, um, and so it'll be good to watch that in, in a few weeks time. I'm just glad supercross is able to get going. It's fun to watch. Speaking of which, Greg, you, you're not the only one that took a big hit 
cards in this whole deal because <laughs> Greg last week didn't get his picks in. No. So by default, Greg, just by default, you should you should be a top tenner in the championship now, I feel. You know what I mean? Because you were about to make a big move, were you not? Dude, it was unbelievable. Like, like what was really strange is is when I looked at the results, I'm like, that's exactly the top three, See, top four I, I would have picked in 450. That's I exactly figured. the top four I would have picked in. Yeah, you know, like my yeah, my I, points I would have been redonkulous. It was well, so impressive. I got absolutely destroyed. I went from I think I was 13th after a really bad week. I got myself back up there, and then this last week was horrendous. I'm back down in 21st. Poncho, I believe, retakes the lead over Schobert. 26 in our pool. Michael Gilbert continues to just kind of on his bad nights. He always tells me, Jay, you win your, win your championships on your bad nights. He had a bad one and he's still in the top 10, which is, which is great. Uh, but it was just a, again, it was a really strange week. One of my guys didn't get in. The other guys that did get in, didn't do anything. So it was, uh, it was frustrating. We'll be back on it this week though. Got to get back on. It. It's only round seven. There's still Still what eleven rounds now or seven ten, ten, ten rounds, rounds to go. Yeah. I slid down to 89th. I was floating around in the sixties. So the goal now is just to get to page one. Yeah. And then uh in no, our but, other, but in, in, in our other pool, this is the thing. Yeah. I had my highest scoring point scoring. You killed it, huh? Yeah, because it was my picks from last week. Oh god. Right. So, like yeah, so, right. so it just carries over. Yeah, in the RM yeah. fantasy, it just carries over. And I had picked Cooper Webb to win it. So that was a big point scorer for me. I mean, I didn't really crush it, crush it necessarily, but I did. I think I got two out of the five picks or three out of the five picks or something yeah, in, in yeah. that one. And that's really just a, that's one that Jason and I are doing on the down low with a couple of friends, uh, Skip Axlin and Chuck Axlin and some other people. And uh, I'm still at the bottom. Well, Chuck's at the very bottom. Chuck Axlin's oh, still, Chuck's just, yeah, he's, he's. Uncle Skip's doing, Uncle Skip is not even doing good in that one either. No, but Uncle Skip he's, is Uncle Skip is enjoying like he's cocky. He's so great. He's cocky, yeah. and I like that. I you know? love that. Yeah. For a man at his advanced age to be as cocky as he That's is, I, it's a lot of lot of admiration for him. He's, By the way, if you if you want to, he's join actually ahead. Us, he's actually what? ahead of you in pulp now. He's yeah. ahead of you. He, I know, and, and he do, missed, and he missed he, two. He missed the two first or three, two didn't he? No, I missed the first two. Missed the first two because he sent out an email. You missed one. What's your excuse? The guys. Guys, he's ahead of you. This is so great. My excuse, you know what my excuse is? I'm pretty sure that, that you're a scumbag and that you Thank have you. my username and password and you're messing with my picks. Appreciate That's what it. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Is there any Could truth be. to that? I wish. I wish. Scumbag. All right. <laughs> All right. But anyway, so pulp, pulpmxfantasy.com. If you go to the leagues, go to Greg's Garage podcast and you can join us and play. There is uh, some things on the line. We'll we'll have we'll be giving away a couple of those Moto America uh, Live Plus subscriptions a little bit later on. They're working on getting those codes to us, and then um, of course the winner of this one. It's going back and forth between Poncho and Schobert Twenty Six and Hucklebuck Racing in the mix. Those those three seem to have kind of a lockdown on the top three. One of those three is going to win a brand new Arai helmet of their choice. So that's that's good. Perfect. Love All right, J- JP, let's move on to some flat track stuff, shall we? American flat track. Now, we've had the 2017-2018 Twins, which, by the way, that's the premier class. We've had the champ Jared Mees on since the beginning of this podcast, but we hadn't caught up with them in a while. Briar Bauman won the title in 19 and in 2020. In 2020, he beat Mees by nine points. Um, that's, you know, the two in a row for Briar. And I'm going to tell you, dude, it eats Mees up. 
You know, it, it, yeah, def- it, it, sure. yeah. <laughs> Mies is one of the most competitive people I've ever met and it, it really eats him up. So when I asked him to sum up his 2020, he was, well, I mean, you know, like, let's just say the tone tells the story. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows 2020 was, uh, definitely one for one for the talks like 30 years from now, for sure. Um, you know, we were actually in Daytona unloading, uh, that Friday, I believe it was. And, um, halfway through getting unloaded and, and getting ready, uh, they came on and put us in, I guess, a, uh, start of the p- pandemic was right then and there. And we were no longer able to, uh, carry on with Daytona TT. The Daytona 200 was actually on the track doing their qualifying rounds and their practice rounds and stuff. And, they actually shut them completely down and everybody went home for, for months. I mean, you know, we were on lock, everybody was on lockdown and, uh, I mean, everybody knows the routine, right? So it's not worth really talking about, but anyway, we got going, uh, in July and, um, we actually got going at a place called Barberville, which is uh, Volusia Speedway Park. I grew up there like racing, my whole amateur career there, like coming down to Florida, never in a million years would I ever thought that there'd be a Grand National there. And fortunately, making tons and tons of laps at that place over my amateur career, even in my professional career, I've always done that little warm-up race over there. It paid off because uh, we uh, won both open season openers uh, down there in Barberville. Uh, moved on to Indianapolis, where I got a second and third. And that's kind of when we started battling. Me and Briar started battling in the points back and forth. And then um, I had a little bit of a bad spell right in the middle of the of the season. We were in Williams Grove, and I went 3-4, and he, was, uh, he went 1-1. Because all of our events, let me back up, all of our events this year were back-to-back races, Friday and Saturday uh, nights, just to try to get the season in. So we were at Williams Grove. He went 1-1. I went 3-4. And then the next weekend, he went 1-1 again. And I went 4-4. Uh, four, uh, four, four. And um, that right there was, you know, looking back on it, that right there was the, the nail in the coffin for me because uh, he stretched the lead out pretty good to the point where I didn't think I'd have a shot. And then the next weekend, we went to Atlanta, and I went 1-1, and he went 2-3. So we basically cut the points lady had in half. And then we went to Charlotte, and I uh, I got second, he got third. And then the very next day was basically, I guess, the final nail in the coffin was uh, I was sitting on the pole for the main event. He was on, like, row number three, and the rain came down and rained us out and went into Daytona. <laughs> and... Uh, we actually flip-flopped positions. I, he, he went into Daytona with a nine-point lead, so I basically had to beat him both days. And I only beat him one out of the two days he beat me the other day. So, I mean, all in all, you know, uh, we lost the championship, but the lead by nine points. And um, just had a couple... I had one race where... Or one weekend, I should say, where I boxed it. I just... I didn't get it done, and he did. Um... So moving forward, obviously, is uh, we're trying to limit those mistakes. Um, I feel like we really found something towards the end of the year on some racetracks that uh, I seem to struggle over the, the last couple of years uh, a little bit more. I mean, you know, I think struggling for me is fourth or fifth, but 
So we found something uh, with some bike setup stuff and some engine combination stuff that really played a big difference towards the end of the year. And uh, I'm pretty excited to be able to go back to some of those types of racetracks with this uh, with this setup and hopefully be able to close that gap. Uh, we also have some some more miles on the circuit, uh, which is going to be good. And then you know we also do have some TTs on the circuit too, which. I think hindsight, look at Ann, he's a little stronger on the TTs than I am, but um, you got to show up, you got to race, so. Yeah, so, all right, you can kind of tell from, you know, the way he talks that he's not really thrilled about that whole thing. You know, the thing is, is when you hear him talking, and yeah, he doesn't sound like he's the happiest guy, because he's a champion and he wants to win. Um, obviously, Jared's been there a few times, but he's gone back, obviously, and he, the fact that He's talking to us on the show and he can go back and remember each one of the results and the places where he kind of felt like he dropped the ball or just the result wasn't there or bike setup wasn't there. Um, you know, you can hear it in his voice. That said, if you listen to it closely at the end there, he's like, you know, we tried some things at the end and we've got some things that we're interested in testing and we're looking forward to going back to a few of these places that maybe, maybe that's why he struggled. So they've got some things that it sounds like he wants to do on the bike uh, that might help him with the results, but you know, it sounds like he's going to be pretty hungry heading into uh, into this season. Yeah, definitely. Now, with 2020 and the pandemic, I was wondering about his point of view on the health of American Flat Track. You know, I think it's pretty good, uh, you know, under the circumstances that we're all in. Um, I think we all, I think some things went a, a different direction than what we were all hoping some things went in a, in a better direction than, than what we thought. You know, I, I think I think we're still trying to find, um, you know, the next step towards, uh, the next step higher, I should say. Um, you know, we made a lot of really good leaps in 17, 18, and 19. Um, and then, you know, I think towards the middle of 19 and obviously through 20, we kind of started to plateau a little bit. And... Um, we need to try to make sure that we keep making those steps upward because, you know, I don't think anybody's satisfied with, uh, I don't think we're, at, I don't think we're satisfied with the end result. You know, I don't think we're at that end result mark yet. Um, so I, you know, I, I still think there's some gains and, and a lot of stride forward. Um, and, and I think we kind of, like I said, plateaued and we're kind of trying to squirrel up, uh, what the next moves need to be. And, um, there's been some pretty good positive things that's come uh, the last few weeks here. Uh, kind of like the old days back at the Camel Challenge days where guys would line up for five laps and do kind of like a Camel Challenge shootout dash for cash. Um, we're doing something very similar this year with uh, Mission Foods where every race we have a uh, five-lap dash for cash and the winner takes home five grand. It's a winner-take-all five-lap shootout. So that'll be really interesting and a lot of fun and guys can make some extra cash. So yeah, some pretty good things. I mean, obviously everybody knows that Harley's really scaled back and pulled uh, all of their support, or I should say a lot of their support. So that's, you know, that was not a, a direction that we wanted to all see, but um, it is what it is, right? Yeah, it is what it is. But Hey, an opportunity to win five grand for mission foods. That's pretty good. Yeah, you know, that's great. a nice little, that's a nice little, little add to that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's a bummer. Harley news is a bit devastating because they've just been so enriched in this series for a million years. So oh, million. that part of it's a little tough. Yeah, it is tough. And you know, I just, 
There's a lot of factors involved with that. But yeah, if you look at the Harley reports, they seem to be losing a little bit more, a little bit more. And I just think it, you know, that's more ultimate business and how Harley Davidson has been able to manage their base, the people that buy their motorcycles. It's an aging base and they've got to figure out how to get younger riders interested in what they have available or start creating, you know, new things that are available. But Jay, going back to 2021, you know, beyond the usual crap about, you know, how do you win this championship? And riders go, oh, well, I have to win races. Mm-hmm. You know, Mies gave us actual insight into what he needs to do to win back the national championship title that he's been. I'm not saying he's handed it to Briar Bauman. Yeah. Bauman has gone off and just snatched it right out of his hands. But, you know, Bauman is wickedly fast. And Jared's got to figure out how to get this title back in 2021. You know, put it all together. Uh, from from the start, break every race down to like I used to, just one race at a time. Um, I've got I've got my strengths uh, over him on certain tracks, and he and he's got the same on me. And, and the ones where he's a little stronger in some areas, you know, try to just to keep the gla- keep the gap as closed as possible. Um, it's a it's a 17 race series. There's some really strong racetracks on the circuit for me. Um, I actually like the look of this schedule better than I did last year uh, for me. And um, so I, I feel like, uh, you know, capitalize on those on those tracks that I know I'm going to be pretty strong at and um, just make everything count. I mean, I don't really have my finger on it. I lost... I lost in 2019 to six points. I lost last year to nine points. And I mean, there was a lot of races last year, like Indianapolis. Man, I I made a mistake with some gearing in, 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 in Indianapolis. And, uh, you know, I know he won both of them and he was he was flying. But I really feel like if I could have flip-flopped that, that day with the gearing and not made that mistake and won that race and he'd have finished second, that would have been... That'd have been ten point swing. That'd have gave me the championship. Or, you know, obviously, Charlotte we got rained out. You know, I was on the front row. He was on the third row. So, I just think, you know, you also got to have a little luck. I'm not saying he got lucky by any means, but, you know, we our motorcycles both stayed together all season long, which, you know, was also pretty fantastic on both teams' part to to not have any mechanicals at all. Usually, everybody has what I like to call like an oopsie. Or a, or a mulligan or a goose egg or whatever you want to call it. And neither of us had that last year. So, you know, none of us can have that. You know, if, if, if I have one and he doesn't, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a huge points deficit, you know, and vice versa. So neither of us can right now have that, that problem. And if we do, we each got to have one. And usually, like I said, in the past, you could count on, you know, like the one year Briar got a flat tire and then I fell or, you know, you blow a motor and then, you know, his ECU would go out or, you know, something like that kind of went hand for hand. Last year, there wasn't that. So if one had it, one didn't, it would be, a, it, would, it would definitely set one back. So uh, try to limit those mechanicals and um, just try to capitalize on uh, on his mistakes and, and um, try to get the momentum early. Yeah, you can tell he's been thinking about this. That oh, yeah. wasn't just something he came up with. No, you know when you sit there and you, you, you know he knows he knows so much detail about you know he can go back to each race even talking about gearing and things and that's the stuff that eats at you though you know I think that 
when you leave a weekend not feeling like you actually, uh, not that you didn't give your best, you gave your best at the time, but you kind of see little mistakes that you possibly could have made and they eat at you a little bit. And, you know, he's, he sounds like he's pretty ready to go. I like the idea too, that he, he kind of likes how the schedule's worked out. I mean, he's got a pretty good focused understanding. It looks like of what he is expecting to try to do this year and get that early momentum on his side, GW. Yeah. I, lo- I love the fact that these two, though, battled so close at the yeah. front for these yeah. for these deals. All right. Well, Jason, as you know, since Moto America is doing three King of Bagger races this year, Tyler O'Hara won the inaugural race on an Indy, and I asked Mies about coming road racing in King of the Baggers. <laughs> man, I, uh, man, I'd like to, actually. I actually said something that Gary Gray, who's uh, the, the uh, president of racing or the or the, the head guy racing. Uh, and he says, ah, we'll see. Uh, let's, you know, I don't think he wants to see me uh, focus so much on that. And I think Tyler O'Hara is going to maybe do it again. And he seemed like he had, he was on another level um, at the last one there. So I, uh, I think he's, I think Indian's in good hands with the rider Tyler and stuff. So I, I, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe in the future, it'd be cool if one, uh, if one fell, after the season was over like last year and I can just kind of go out and have a little fun or something like that. But man, by then, you know, all them guys are going to have things figured out and have a really good handle on things. So it's almost worse coming in, uh, like a year later, you know what I mean? After everybody's kind of got it all filled out, you're almost better off showing up cold Turkey. Like everybody. Come on, Mies. Already making excuses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when you see what Tyler O'Hara did at Laguna last year, I mean, if it wasn't for him, in my opinion, showboating a little bit and having fun down into turn two and getting it wrong and running off the track, it wouldn't have been much of a race. And mm-hmm. Tyler, as we know, is a great dirt tracker, and he's kind of committed himself to being that guy that does, you know, I know he's going to do the Daytona 200 coming up here soon. Um, but Jared's right. It's hard to just jump into a field and uh, of guys that have kind of been doing it. I mean, a lot of those baggers guys have been testing too. It's, you know, he doesn't want to come in there and just get smoked. He wants to come in there and at least have a shot to like show that he can, you know, ride and get used to what grip feels like on a, on a big bike like that compared to what he's been riding. Um, so anyways, it would be fun. It would be a good story for him. It'd be something that he could maybe do, but, but I understand his, uh, his, his nervousness about coming and trying it. And if there's any discipline, you know, flat tracks as close to road races you can get. So I'm sure Jared would at least have a good time. Um, well, thanks, Jared Meese, for being on the show. Again, we appreciate it and giving us some insight into the world of flat track, which, of course, during the course of the season, we'll definitely cover that. On next week's show, we'll, of course, talk about Supercross and Fantasy as we're at Orlando 2. And it's the beginning of the 250 West Championship. As for our guest, well, I'm not going to tell you because I'm still waiting for some information to drop, but we'll have somebody for you for sure. This weekend's race calendar, Supercross Orlando 2, round eight. That's just Saturday, so no Tuesday race after that. The Work Series in Peoria, Arizona. The GNCC Series kicks off in Union, South Carolina. That kicks off the season without champion Caleb Russell for the first time in a very long time as he was set to retire after his 2020 championship. So it's a wide open championship in that XC2 class. After eight championships, Caleb, he's still in shape. Wow. He still rips. That's but great. anyway, the best in the desert races, the Parker 250. And that's all I got for this podcast, JP. What about you? Well, I'm uh, I'm hanging out out here, G-Dub, and I'm going to be at the track next Tuesday. I might even have a guest 
live at the track. I'll be doing this podcast from Chuck Walla next Tuesday. Oh. So yeah, I might, I might see if I can grab someone. I already got the spot that I can do this. And I think we got solid Wi-Fi there. So a little, a little microphone share in action. Huh? Yeah, like yeah, it. yeah, yeah. We'll do like a little live discussion. Even if it's a quick one, we can do it. Uh, I might even have a few people actually. We could kind of make it a little bit interesting next week, but um, no, so, everybody but, have but a safe, fun week. Is it, wait, uh, is it someone that I'll, that I like? Uh, like, yeah. so, so I don't like you. So this yeah. would be like no, a podcast a, with someone be that a, I like. It would definitely be uh, better for you. Yes. Cause it would probably be a couple, two or three people that might be showing up next week to ride. Oh no. And if they do, if mm. they do show up, no, you'll, it, you, you're, it's, it's legit. You'll be happy. The battle of the olds written all over it. And I just, I just fear for my life in this whole situation. <laughs> anyway, no, you'll be it. good. You'll be all right. All right go, go, I got you go, sorted, G-Dub. I got you sorted. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I Why do. don't you go golf or something? I'm going to go golf now. Hey, I made an albatross last week, G-Dub. You know what that is? No, I do not. I made a two on a par five. It's more rare than a hole in one. I should have just quit golf right then and there. Congratulations. I know. Would I should have quit. Did you walk it down the fairway and then drop it in the bucket or what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I dropped it in the bucket, G-Dub. Say how far away Say were you? How far? No, I want to know how far away were you on your second shot and you put it right in the bottom of the cup. How far? I I had 184 flag and then there was a big, there was like a big, uh, this green had two tiers in it. So there was a big tier behind it. So I, I zapped the top of the tier because I thought if I hit it into the face of that tier, it might roll back in. And yeah, it was a one in a million shot for me. So I, I had... I ended up hitting six iron from, I think it was, I think my actual number was like one, 192, but the top tier was like 200. And I had a little bit downwind and I hit six iron and went in the hole. If you're listening this far into this podcast, go to Jason's Twitter and comment if you believe him or not. Let's see how many I people did. are listening. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, Jason. Have fun on the Later, links. Later, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening.